Necessity is the mother of invention, right? That's what Plato said, and he was a Greek philosopher, so everything he said was right. Necessity is the mother of invention. That, that's what we've heard. We've, we've heard that because there's this idea when there's scarcity, when there's not the resources, and, and we have a need, we have something that, that has to be done, that's when we figure out how to get through that, and actually something can be created that's even better through the lack. Right? We, we have that concept. We understand that artists get that because you have to like narrow your vision. You know, um, I've even heard of businesses that will take away resources so that you have to figure out how to figure out the problem. And this is something we kind of get in the, the secular world. Um, down in a small town named Enterprise, Alabama, way down south in Alabama, there's a great big statue in the middle of a town of a bull weevil. Did you recognize that? You've seen a statue like that before, haven't you? What the heck, right? There's this great big statue of this woman right in the center of town holding up a bull weevil. And if you can, in case you don't know, that's a type of beetle that attacks cotton plants. Because you see, in the early 1900s in Alabama, everybody grew cotton. That was the crop. That's how everybody made their money. That was the business there in the town of Enterprise. Well, along came these bull weevils and a huge infestation of them. And it was so bad that these beetles were eating the plants that... At one point, there, there was the production that they had been making with cotton, and it went down to 18% of that point. So people were starving, people were poor, they were struggling, they couldn't financially make it through because of these bull weevils. Well, what happened? Necessity, the mother of invention. So they decided, okay, we've got to try some other things. They tried different crops like corn, they, they tried having livestock, and, and the entire economy, instead of just being cotton, diversified. Everybody was trying different things. And what was interesting, that through this time of diversification, that people began to make even more money, and the economy grew to a point of prosperity that it never had before. This was the most prosperous age this town had ever seen. So after this, they created a statue for the bull weevil to celebrate that, yeah, that was terrible. It was a point that people were desperate and struggling, but through that, even better stuff came out, right? So we see this in our world. We, we talk about it, that a necessity is the mode of invention. But what I want to do is take that principle, and I think that's what God teaches us, and, and show it in the spiritual realm. If our series is seeing the unseen so that we can see things the way God sees them, it's to see our lack, our necessity, the times when we're struggling and when we don't have enough. And we say, I, I just can't do it. In those times, God is working to show us something even better. And what he wants to teach us is that when we are faithful with what we have, even if it's little, even if it's almost nothing. When we are faithful with what we have, God takes care of the rest. See, God comes through and does something big in those difficult times. So some of you in here have those situations or you can think back in your life and you're like, Matt, I'm struggling, I don't have the finances, I don't have this, I don't have that. And in those times of struggle, we need to learn to be faithful and that's what we're going to see today in our message. So if you have the Bible, go ahead and jump to 2 Kings chapter 4. Follow along on your smartphone. We'll have the verses up on the screen as well. And we pick up this story with Elisha. And it says in verse 1 that the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So this woman had been married to a prophet in the company of prophets, worked for Elisha. And Elisha, this would have been like a pastor of the day. 
So this woman made the first mistake of thinking that her husband in ministry would make a ton of money. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> but this was a struggle because her husband had died. This is, a, this is pretty tragic, isn't it? Her husband had died, probably unexpectedly, and not only had he put them in a difficult spot, but he had left them in debt. He didn't have a good life insurance policy. There was no life insurance policies back then. There was no social security net to help them in this time. Instead, she's struggling. And this is on top of the grief she's dealing with. She just lost her husband. The person that she had spent her life with and she loved. Now, when someone goes through that process of losing a spouse, it is terrible. Because it changes and upends everything in your world. You know, there were things that, you know, you divide up the chores for years, for decades, and then all of a sudden when you're the only one there, you have to do everything. I don't know how to balance the budget, she's saying. I don't know how to do this. My husband did it all. And you also are going to have to make new friends. That's what happens because all of a sudden you realize they were friends of your spouse and and your situation changes, you have to move. It's a drastic life change. And she's going through the grief of that loss too. And she's going through all of this It's change in life, and now she's in debt. To make matters worse, for one, she didn't have the money to pay off the debt, but now the creditor, and they did this in this day, was coming to take her sons to be sold to pay off her debt. They would become slaves. Probably she couldn't work manual labor, so the creditor didn't want her uh, to be sold into slavery, but they wanted the sons because they could work. Now, this was a terrible thing, and I can just imagine her thinking, I may never see my sons again. What if they get sold out of town, out of, out of country? What if they're abused? What if they be sold to a bad master? Man, can you imagine the devastating things that this woman is going through? This is a legitimate complaint that she brings to Elijah, isn't it? This is as legitimate as it gets. This is as much necessity as I can think of, as difficult of a circumstances as I can imagine. And this is when she quotes, this is not a first world problem. Do you guys know what first world problems are? This is like you going to Starbucks and them spelling your name wrong. Can you believe it? You post it on Twitter. This is like your phone dies and you can't post that cute pic to Instagram. Right? This is like the cup holder in your BMW doesn't fit your favorite mug. Okay, those are first world problems. What we're talking about here is a real problem. This is a real problem. This is a real difficult situation, a legitimate complaint. And we do have these in our lives. From time to time, we are struggling financially, emotionally. And we're saying, how do I get through this? So this is when she approaches Elisha. And Elisha says this in verse 2. He replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? So I love this because Elisha is representing God here. And God cares about people in need. Especially, the Bible tells us in Psalm 68.5, those who are widows. In Psalm 68.5 we read that God is a father to the fatherless and an advocate for widows. The people in in the the society of the Bible that were the outcasts, that had the lowest and, and the least amount of money, no one to look after them, that's who God cares about. People that are struggling. And it's not just that God cares about widows. It says he's an advocate for widows. He's going to work on their behalf. He's going to go to bat to help out people who are single moms or single dads. He wants to help those people through their difficult time. So Elisha now represents God and he's saying, hey, how can I help you? But he says something so interesting there, doesn't he, in verse 2. He said, 
let's go back to the last slide. He said, what do you have? What do you have? That's such an important question. That's the title of our message today because it's the question I think we all need to ask. Well, what do I have? What do I have? Because that's the question that Elisha asked to involve this woman in the process of healing, involve this woman in the process of getting out of her difficult situation. It gives her dignity in it. Something very important about that. I had a chance a few years ago to, to go to Bolivia. And while I was there in Bolivia, there's a lot of poverty there, but I met a really great missionary named Mario. Mario had worked down there for um, a long time. And he, he had a question that he would always ask people. Because there were people in terrible poverty, people that had um, lost all their money on their farms in the, the villages and the mountains and come to the city trying to find work. They had nothing. They had no place to live. And what he would always ask them is, what do you have in your hand? And his question was very similar to this, what do you have, that Elisha asked. Well, what do you have? He would always say, what's in your hand? What, what's in your hand? And what he would mean by that is, what resources, what talents, what things do you have right now that you can use? And he would challenge people this way. And there was... Um, uh, another lady that was struggling financially and, and he would say this to her and she realized that she knew someone who had a farm with a little bit of extra land and, and so they set up a bunch of beehives on this land and this woman would then take the honey and sell it and she was able to support herself because she had something. She had a connection. She had something that she could do. He would always ask, what's in your hand? Not, who, who, who do we need to get more money from? It's like, what do you have? Because when you're involved in that per process it gives you dignity and that's how god works too what do you have so this is what the woman responds to in the second half of verse two she says your servant has nothing there at all i have nothing except a small jar of olive oil she doesn't say i know what i have i got some olive oil she says i have nothing I have absolutely nothing. Because, so what we all do, it's easier to see what you don't have than what you do have. I know this because when you go into your closet, no matter how many clothes are in there, ladies, what do you say? I have nothing to wear. Men, when you want a snack and you go to the fridge, and no matter how much is in there, what do you say? There's nothing to eat. I know it's true. We say this. We see what we don't have instead of what we do have. And it, that's just some funny scenarios, but it can be in difficult situations too. A, a dear friend betrays you, or you've been in this long-term relationship and you break up, and, and what do you say? No one loves me. No one cares about me. It, you forget all the other people in your life, and you only realize, I have no one to love me. When you're working hard to try to get a job, and, and it's falling through and falling through, you say, man, I just don't have any connections. All the people getting the jobs, they must know people. I don't know anyone. We think of what we don't have rather than what we do have. And that's what this woman's saying. It's so easy to see that. There's nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. She doesn't even know that she has already what she needs. Now, olive oil in the ancient world was used for all sorts of different things. And it's hard to really figure out what was used here. Back when we looked in the series in Elijah, olive oil was used to make bread. Use olive oil and flour. So it was used in baking. It was also used as kind of a lotion and smelled good, I guess, at the time. Um, it was also used maybe like as a balm, you know, for healing for wounds. could also be used in religious ceremonies. What, why I bring this up is it was used for all sorts of things. 
could have been used as all different um, scenarios, all different situations. And this is what she had, one jar of olive oil. So Elijah says to her, okay, I want you to do something. I want you to go with your sons, and I want you to go around town and ask everyone you can think of for an empty jar. Just go, get out. Just go out there and ask for any empty container that people have. Small jars, big jars, some as big as your head. Whatever you can find, get the jars. Just ask people for these jars, and then you're going to start pouring the olive oil, and you're going to have enough. Do you know what that sounds like? It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Doesn't it? What? What? I can just imagine her thinking, what the heck are you talking about? I have one jar of olive oil. What are all these empty jars going to do? If I pour them in there, then I just have a little bit of olive oil and a whole bunch of jars. But Elisha says, go do it. And in faith, she does it. I can't imagine how awkward it would be, this poor widow and her sons going door to door to door asking for jars. For empty containers, but they do, and they ask all these people, and they get the empty containers, and they bring them home, and they shut the door, probably so that they don't want people to think they're crazy, even though they kind of feel that way, but they just take it, and they, the mom just takes the jar of olive oil, and she pours it into the first empty container, and then she says, okay, give me the next one, her son gives her the next one, and she pours it in the next container, and they take the next one, pours it in the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and they go through this, every container that they had collected. Pour the olive oil in. And finally she says, okay, give me the next container. And her sons are like, there's no more. That was the last one. And the oil stopped. There was enough oil to fill every single one of those containers. It's a miracle. So then she goes back to Elisha, it says in verse 7, and it says, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. God did a miracle here. He came through big time. But that woman, that widow, had to supply the first jar of olive oil. And she had to step out in faith and ask these people. But when she did that, God showed up. This olive oil was not just enough to get her and her sons out of debt, to save them and make sure they still could live with her and she could raise them. But then she also had enough to live on. God provided the need and more. So she learned, but I hope you will learn, is that when we are faithful with what we have, God takes care of the rest. She had to be faithful with that one jar of olive oil she had. She had to be faithful to step out in faith and ask people, you know, go out there, step out, and can you help me with an empty container? She had to go out and do it, and then she had to just do what he said and pour the olive oil. But when she was faithful with what she did have, God took care of the rest. And that's how God works. A few years ago, when I was a pastor out in Nebraska, we were planning a big service project in our community. And we had done one the year before that went off really well, and it was awesome. It, and we got some, you know, we made it into some newspapers. It was kind of a big, big deal for small town Nebraska. We were like, yeah, we had done something cool, this small church. So this organization in the state said, hey, we're going through a training program with a bunch of churches throughout the state to teach them how to serve their community, just like you guys did. So could we use you guys as the test site? And we're going to take these people through this training process, and then we're going to bring all these teams of volunteers from around the state, and we want them to come to your church to learn from you guys and with you guys how to do this. And they were going to go do it in another church as well. So we were excited. They told us they were going to give us this sum of money and between 30 and 50 volunteers. And we were like, whoa, this is going to be huge. 
We had the money, we had the, the resources. So we went and had a team together and we were planning and, and we started like getting the word out. We picked a date and we were advertising. And then I get an email from this organization. Well, we had some scheduling conflict. It's not going to work out to send the people or the money there. Woo. But we were planning this whole thing. We started advertising. People were counting on us. We were trying to reach the needs of the poorest of the poor and all of a sudden, this resource we had been counting on was gone. So this team was pretty demoralized by this. Well, we've been planning this huge project. How are we going to come through? We needed these resources. So I wrote up a little Bible study on this passage. And I was out of town that week, but I sent it to one of the leaders and I said, hey, just go through this Bible study. And the group went through this passage and the leader called me up afterwards. He's like, this team is pumped up. I was like, why? You know, we just found out we're going to lose all these volunteers. He said, it doesn't matter because we know we already have what we need. So these people were pumped up because they learned this lesson. And the team went out and they started going to every organization asking if they would help. And people started to contribute money. We were going to do a thing that basically was a free grocery store for anyone who was in need. And so they went out and asked organizations. There's a lot of Hispanic people in the area. So they went and got a whole bunch of free rice and beans. This company donated all of them, this farm. People were donating all sorts of money, resources. Volunteers showed up who didn't even believe in Jesus, but they wanted to be a part of it. And we had more than enough resources, more than enough people. And I don't think we could have done anything like that if we had had those original volunteers and resources come through. We needed to realize that in that time of need, we have what we need. That's why we need to learn to be faithful with what we have. And then God takes care of the rest. God takes care of the rest. In Stephen Covey's book, he talks about this type of mindset, the scarcity mindset. And he compares it. So that's the mindset. That there's not enough to go around. Like you're going to be in need and you're going to struggle and, and just take what you can. If somebody else gets rich, that means you're going to be poor. It's the scarcity mindset. And then he compares it to what he calls the abundant mindset where there's going to be enough. And I want to change that a little bit because I, I think we need to have the abundant God mindset. That we realize that, yeah, we don't have the right resources. We don't have everything. But God does. God can come through even when we lack. So I want you guys to develop this abundant God mindset that we have what we need right now. And when we're faithful with it, God will take care of the rest. In Philippians 4.19, we read, And my God will supply some of your needs. Is that what it said? It says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And again in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read, each man should give as he has decided in his, cigar, in his heart. God can give you all you need. He will give you more than enough. You will have everything you need for yourselves and you will have enough left over to give when there is a need. God wants you to be faithful with what you have and he'll take care of the rest. We have an abundant God. We have an abundant God. So I have a question for you. What do you have? I didn't come up with that question. Obviously, Elisha did. What do you have right now? What resources do you have? What gifts do you have? Maybe you don't have a lot of money, but you have some time. What do you have? Because too often we have that scarcity mindset and we say, I'm not good enough. I don't have the skills, the talents, the money, the connections, the looks to do it. I, I can't do it. But God says, no, no, no. You have what you need. What, what do you have right now? And he wants you to look inside and see what you have access to right now. Even if it's just that little jar of olive oil. 
And if you're faithful with, to God with it, if you step out in faith, he'll take care of the rest. He does. And, and he's abundant and goes above and beyond, doesn't he? That's what he did with his widow. He says, yeah, you'll be able to pay off your debt and be able to live off what is left. God is an abundant God. Does this story remind you of any other stories in the Bible? I see one person nodding their head. Maybe something that Jesus did? See, I think this is kind of like a precursor, even pointing ahead, because Jesus had a similar thing happen. He was with and preaching to a group of about 5,000. Actually, it was 5,000 men. So there was the women and children, maybe 15,000 total people. And it was lunchtime. They were hungry. So Jesus says to his disciples, okay, let's feed them. 5,000 people. And uh, the disciples are like, we can't. There's no way we can. We don't have any food. They say, we don't have any food. That's what they say. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? <laughs> Same question. What do you have? And they say, well, we've got these five loaves of bread and these three fishes. And Jesus says, okay, that's enough. And they take it and pass it out. And as they pass it out to these 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people, there's more than enough to feed all of them. But what's amazing is that, that that didn't just happen once. There's a second time. And a lot of people are kind of foolish and they think there's only one of these miracles. But there wasn't. There's was two. There's a second time Jesus fed 4,000 people. And we know this because it's like a chapter later in the Bible. The authors of the Bible weren't idiots. Okay? But there's a second story. And there's a reason why that happens a second time. Because there's 4,000 men, maybe 12,000 people. And Jesus says, hey, we've got to feed them. And what did the disciples say? We don't have anything. <laughs> we have nothing. Even though they had seen it happen before. I think that's the point, <laughs> that it happens twice. Because <laughs> these are the disciples. They should be the most faithful people. And they're like us. And they forget. They lack that trust in God. Lack that faith. But Jesus says, okay, well, what do you have? <laughs> and they say, well, we got seven loaves and a few fish. Jesus says, that's enough. And they pass it out. And then as they get everything back, there are seven basketfuls left over. <laughs> Jesus was teaching his disciples and he's teaching us, hey, should be faithful with what you do have and I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. And that's the amazing thing about Jesus. Not just in his ministry did he show this, but also in his death. Because it tells us that when he died, he died as an atonement for the sins of the whole world. That he died to forgive everyone. But yet we know that not everyone believes and is forgiven. Not everyone sadly chooses that. that it's a sad thing, but it's true. But still, Jesus' blood was enough for everyone. Because God is an abundant God and generous. And he wants to offer forgiveness and eternal life to everyone. And that's why we can trust him. And we don't even have to do anything in that scenario. Just believe. So I want to ask you again, what do you have? If you're in that position right now, you're struggling, you feel like you have a legitimate complaint, you're like that widow, bad things are happening in your life, you don't have enough, what do you have right now? Do you have some talents? Do you have some resources? Do you have some people you know in your life that God can work through? But for all of us, even if we aren't in a struggle right now, God is still challenging us, what do you have? Because he wants us to be faithful with that. If you have a talent, how are you using it? If you have finances, how are you giving it away, being generous with that? If you have a living room, are you hosting a community group? I threw that one in there. Yeah. 
But really, how are you using what you have? I, I don't have money, man. I don't have that. But I do have time. How can I volunteer somewhere? What do you have? What are the resources you have that God wants you to be faithful with right now? So what do you have? Let's pray. God, sometimes we do have really difficult situations. I can't even imagine the scenario that that widow was going through. She had been faithful, her husband had been faithful to you, and yet they were in a terrible financial spot. But you worked through her. You provided all she needed and more. You got her out of the trial and you were abundant. You taught her that when we are faithful with what we have, you take care of the rest. And I pray, Lord, for the person in here right now who is in a difficult spot, who is struggling financially or emotionally or or whatever the situation is, I pray that you would help them open up their eyes not to what they don't have, but to what they do have, that they could learn to be faithful with that. And God, I just ask that you would show up in a huge way in their life, that they would know that you are good, that you do care about everyone, that you are an abundant God. Help us have that mindset. And for all of us, train us, teach us, to be faithful with the resources we do have. Amen.